Hi, Recode Decode listeners. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, we've got a live taping coming up you'll want to check out. On Wednesday, July 19th, I'll be interviewing Uber's new Vice President of Leadership and Strategy, Francis Fry, at the Erickson Campus in Santa Clara. We have a lot to talk about. Uber's been in the news a lot lately, so learn more at events.recode.net. This show is sponsored by Qualcomm. They're part of the daily lives of billions of people around the world. They may not be the name you think of when you think of smartphones, but they invented all the stuff smartphones rely on to be so smart. Essentially, Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever have to send money internationally? If you do, you know it's expensive and time consuming, and the exchange rate you get from your bank or provider can be terrible. Next time you have to make an international money transfer, you should use TransferWise. The exchange rate is incredibly good, so your money goes much further, and you pay only one small upfront fee. Setting up a payment is simple and fast. You know exactly what you'll pay up front, and you get a real exchange rate with no markup. The two friends who founded TransferWise were immigrants from Estonia, and they were sick of getting ripped off when they sent money home. So they came up with a quicker, cheaper, and easier way to transfer money between countries. Then they realized this great idea could be a company. Today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money internationally. See how much you can save at TransferWise.com. You can download the app for Android or iOS. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer, as in I need to transfer money to another country. Wise, as in I'm going to do it the wise way. TransferWise.com. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the only person who does not want to add you on my professional network on LinkedIn, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to podcasts, We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. Today in the red chair is Reid Hoffman. He's one of my favorite people. I shouldn't tell him that at the start because he'll think I'll go nice on him. But he's a partner at the venture capital firm Greylock. He was previously an executive vice president at PayPal before founding LinkedIn, where he worked from 2003 to 2016, including five years as its CEO. Reed also served on the boards of companies like Zynga, Kiva, and Mozilla Corporation. He's currently on the board of Microsoft and a board observer at Airbnb. And I think it's probably safe to say one of the more favored mentors in Silicon Valley. Reed, welcome to Reed. It's Recode great to be Decode. here. And maybe I need to send you a LinkedIn connection. <laughs> I don't think so. I'll not accept it. Um, so I, I don't think you need a job either. So, you know, there's so much I want to talk about. You just on stage with me and Mark Andreessen. Now we got rid of him at the Code Conference. We talked about a wide range of stuff. But I really want to drill down on some of the stuff we talked about there, um, where it's going, mostly because Mark, like, lobs in some bomb all the time just to be Mark Andreessen-esque. Let me talk about what you're doing right now. Uh, You've done so many, you're sort of a renaissance man of Silicon Valley at this point and someone who's a mentor. And I don't want to call you Bill Campbell, who was sort of the mentor to people, but you're moving into a role like that Mm -hmm. in Silicon Valley. Someone people turn to, sensible and reasonable, good advice, high ethics, that kind of stuff. Talk about what you're doing and what your role is now and all your various jobs, what you spend your time doing. Uh, Unfortunately, be it the entire hour, because 
to some degree, I'm crazy in the number of things I'm doing. Yeah, I know. I've, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> always seem to show up. You're like Zelig. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, me and the the and the old Woody Allen uh, reference for mm-hmm. for anyone who catches it. So let's see. Uh, I have my uh, day job as a partner at Greylock. We invest in uh, tech companies in our early stages. Um, you know, portfolio things. Airbnb is obviously one of the ones you mentioned. You know, one of the ones that I did uh, relatively recently, which we talked about. Uh, you know, at the conference. Uh, was Convoy, which is, mm-hmm. you know, essentially kind of a network of trucks and, and how do you build kind of a logistics network of trucks and a technology solves this key problem. Another part of it is nonprofits. Um, so uh, there's a broad swath with entrepreneurship, uh, things like Endeavor and Kiva, uh, high-impact entrepreneurship, micro-entrepreneurship, but any places where there's a real point of leverage, do mm-hmm. something, which is the teen philanthropy network. And there's you know kind of other places where also in the nonprofit arena, and then there's a um, a stack of stuff where I'm you know obviously uh, I had uh, campaigned you know first time ever against Trump. Right, you're very political. Yes. Uh, well, I actually uh, generally speaking, I, one of the things I realized in the whole thing is the reason I've generally avoided politics is I look at politics as having a very large zero sum. Uh, component to it, and I try to be non-zero sum myself. Mm-hmm. I try to be builder, right, right, right. you know, leverage. Let's find compromise. Let's find. And also, how do we build so that there's more for all of us? Like, so solution based. Yes, solution based. Right. right, and and growth oriented. Uh, but you know, obviously, uh, both then and now, think of uh, Trump as such a uh, train wreck that uh, I actually got into the fray, created a card game, mm-hmm. you know, trumpedupcards.com. I played it with my kids the other yes, day. Exactly. We did our uh, first expansion pack a couple mm-hmm. months ago, Alternative Facts. Mm-hmm. You know, the deck contains somewhere between 52 and 1.5 million cards, depending on which <laughs> facts you're listening to. And then also, um, you know, kind of like what are the right things to do? Like, you know, one of the, you know, it, maybe it's overly simple to derive your uh, one core part of your ethics from Spider-Man, but with power comes responsibility. Mm-hmm. So when you have more power, what are the things that you should be doing, whether that power is a form of leadership um, uh, in the world? And you know, and then, then also in terms of helping entrepreneurs, uh, one of the things that I decided to do is I'm uh, I'm right now in the middle of my own podcast. Mm-hmm. I, that's one of the things I try to steal look, my business. That's I, okay. No, no, I look to learn from you. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it's not disrupting podcasts. It's called Masters of Are Scale. Are you Facebook to my Snapchat? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Or I'm Snapchat to your Facebook. Oh, okay, press, sure. Right? All right. Okay. And you know that's the the modern uh, secrets of Silicon Valley actually aren't the startup culture that we all talk about. But What's it called? It's called Masters. Masters of Scale. Right. And because uh, you've written a books on these issues, and... well, I'm working on a book called Blitzscaling, which oh. is a similar oh, thing. We'll which talk is, about that, okay? Uh, and it's one of the reasons why you know the Masters of Scale, which is talking to people like Brian Chesky and Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg. And, We've heard of them. Yeah, Mary Mafisi, uh, Selena Tabakwala, and then um, in the Blitzscaling book, which I taught a class on at Stanford about 18 months ago, uh, which was also a, a set of guests, you mm-hmm. know, folks like Reed Hastings and so forth. And in the, the basic thing is, is when you listen to people talk about what the secret of Silicon Valley is, they always give you the startup story. Mm-hmm. Technologists, inventors, tech companies, tech universities, sure. put them in a soup, you know, lightning strikes, you know, network emerges. And actually, in fact, that, that exists in many places in the world now. Mm-hmm. And why is it still great, amazing things come out of Silicon Valley? And that's because of essentially scale-ups, of, right. of building the scale and in blitz scale, fast. Right. 
So that's that's a micro portion of the whole range. Okay, we're going to get into there's so much to unpack, and then you also are on a lot of boards. You're as an advisor to a lot of companies, and you're on them. You just joined the micro. That was your latest board because you sold LinkedIn to Microsoft. Well done, by the way. Let me just say, (laughs) do you know what I said about Jeff when he did it? Because the stock had been sort of teetering, going down. It's a real hard time to build to the next. Speaking of scale, and I said if he if Jeff Weiner was a Russian dimnist, he would have scared ten on the on the dismount. (laughs) I think probably you too, but we'll get into that too. And then you serve on boards and then you're just a, you also are a real mentor to a lot of entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. a, an author and stuff like that so let's unpack it a little bit let's talk first about investing right now because i do want to get into politics quite a bit where are we in the silicon valley cycle now you've written books mm-hmm. on this and how you you've written several books on on entrepreneurship and where are we because you know i've had different people come on thinking we're in a in a fallow period or possibly the end of the beginning or the beginning of the end or or that it's gone global just like what you talked about well, where do you look at where Silicon Valley is as an analog place. So I don't think we're fallow, but I do think we're a little confused as to what the next big hits are going to be. There's a lot of different contenders. There's artificial intelligence. uh, There's virtual reality, augmented reality. There's synthetic biology. um, There's actually, in fact, you know, some interesting you know, kind of um, renovations going on with, you know, uh, individual hardware mm-hmm. and kind of hardware renaissance, everything from, you know, artificial intelligence hardware to other kinds of things and self-design, hardware maker movement. There's all of this stuff going on. And so what happens is people tend to say, oh, we're not fallow when we see the next big breakouts. And people are a little uncertain as to which the next big breakouts are going to be. Mm-hmm. Then, by the way, you also get some chorus of saying, well, they're all done. There aren't mm-hmm. going to be any next big breakouts. Mm-hmm. I'm an optimist. I think there will be more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing. If it were me, um, I think that it's kind of probably a combination of three things. I think one is we are still in the early innings of the networked age. Mm-hmm. And so I still look for very networked kind of properties. I look for things that are like Airbnb or LinkedIn or Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I look for those because I think that those it are- those st- network platform yes, properties. exactly. Right? And I think those are still coming. And it's both, you know, marketplaces are a form of network. Right. Um, I think the second thing is actually, in fact, the 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 way that kind of network properties and network effects is actually, in fact, transforming the world. This hits a bunch of different industries. Mm-hmm. And some of that actually is part of why artificial intelligence is playing out, because the techniques in AI, machine learning, deep neural networks, you know, other kinds of uh, technological terms, actually come about because of the cloud, because of the depth of computing power and data. Well, that depth of computing power and data in the cloud is actually part of the networked age. And so Mm -hmm. I think there's a set of different kind of opportunities that are coming around there. And then I actually also thought that, um, you know, one of the things that uh, is every company is, I think, in the process of becoming a technology company. Because you actually, in fact, have to use software, data, et cetera. Right. Whether Which has been coming for a while, the exactly. concept. Exactly, yeah. And it's accelerating. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we might have said it 20 years ago, but it's more true now than it was 20 years ago, and I think it's accelerating in that mm-hmm. way. And so we look for opportunities there as well. So as of, how long have you been doing investing for? Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. Because you're an entrepreneur and an investor, yes. which is. I guess my very first angel investments outside of, of, of PayPal was probably 2002. Mm-hmm. So right. 2002, for yes. a while now, yes. for a while now. But you started off before that as an operator, yes. as an operator. So how do you look at yourself as an investor now? How do you operate? I think people would be interested to know is like, how do you source? How do you find things? Yep. Obviously, people come to you. Um, you. You've made so many good bets. Are you worried about not making good bets? Or 
Well, I think one of the things that's important about being a good investor is having mm-hmm. a new mind. Right. right? So, Which is hard. Yes. And so you both want it, you want to be fresh. Um, part of the thing, like I just articulated some of the ways that I'm looking at the world, but the thing that I most excites me is an entrepreneur who has a contrarian, unique view that I hadn't thought of that has a good plan. Mm-hmm. That unique idea is is the thing that, that makes the job exciting. Right. It may, means that you're learning. And so uh, that's what I try to do. And so um, for me, I have the fortune that uh, lots of people try to come reach me. Mm -hmm. Um, So like what I put on my LinkedIn profile is get to me through a reference, through someone who knows you and Mm -hmm. knows me and can recommend uh, you to me. Because otherwise, you know, the the number of PowerPoint decks that get just mailed to me cold called, you Mm -hmm. wouldn't believe. I'd believe it. You could spend the whole day reading them. And so, um, and so, and then what I do is I, ch- I sort out based on the references. Like, for example, uh, part of my investment in Convoy was, um, you know, um, Hadi Partovi, mm-hmm. uh, one of my uh, friends, he, both he and his brother Ali, uh, called me and said, this is the next thing. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, I drop everything and I pay attention. Right, right. <laughs> right? And that's right. how an investment you, Were you interested me. in trucks or not? No, not particularly. No, no. no, although actually now I've learned a bunch about it. Right. And well, so now I'm more interested than so I was. So explain to me why you made that decision and what you put into it. So what I, what I started with was, um, okay, I think there's a network property. I think it's going to transform, like when you begin to think about transport as a service, uh, mm-hmm. trucking, is a trillion dollar industry uh, and uh, 82% of that is actually spent in the actual trucking part of it and it's mm-hmm. complex which leads to a lot of room for um, for technology actually adding a sure. tremendous it's amount very of value. Analog. It's yes. very yep. And so and the you know uh, the smartphone revolution is beginning to hit truckers so they all mm-hmm. have a device so that means that it's kind of a a, a, a general purpose computer that can help uh, match and route and mm-hmm. deal with things like taking pictures of incomplete loads and other kinds of things. You have this whole place where the, the experience can be transformed. And it makes a difference, a very big difference in the world. And so I went, oh, okay, I get it. I get why the thesis is interesting. Let me dig into it. And then, uh, you know, part of the the thing that's a, you know really important for me and for us at Greylock is partnering with great entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I literally, um, what I like is people who are uh, really good people, who are infinite learners, who love their space, mm-hmm. right, and have the capabilities around it. And and Dan and Grant were those people. So I think I went from, uh, huh, interesting, to, ooh, Drugs. I'm really interested yeah. in, like, seven days. Seven days. Yeah. That's all it took for you to yeah. do that. But a lot of focus. Not a, because you just started researching the area and said, and then why these guys versus there's got to be six other versions of this. Well, one of the things we had to – like the investment took a little longer because, you know, we had uh, Hadi and Ali's references, which really mattered a lot. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we'd had friends who had invested in other companies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd heard about – some others had started a little earlier. And so mm-hmm. we went and did our research. Uh, and so we said, okay, which which of these ones – has the right technological approach, has the right strategy, has the thing that this complex industry with shippers and right. truckers and everything else will actually really be the right fit and the solution. Uh, and even though Convoy was earlier than some, what was later, so it was later, like later to the market than some of the others, we felt it had exactly the right thing. And so we said, okay, we'll take a bet on it. And fortunately, thus far, we've turned out to be exactly right. Right. And where do you imagine that goes? What happens you know, in an investment like this that you're making now? Well, so um, the hope is that 
there essentially, you, you know, this is all going to geek speak a little bit, but you essentially have transport as a service, mm-hmm. which completely transforms the way that shippers will. TAS. Sorry? Transport as a service. Yes, exactly. TAS. TAS, okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, um, and that everyone uh, gets a much better part of the game from it. So, for example, shippers actually can't really plan on they don't know when the truck's running late or where is it or it's running into problems. Right. Uh, truckers uh, want to be able to say, look, I showed up and the load wasn't as it was described, mm-hmm. you know, and how do I resolve that and all this. And by moving that all into a network cloud, all of a sudden that gets all a lot more efficient. Uh, and what's right. more, as opposed to like truckers, because, you know, the huge amount of the trucking industry is these fragmented, you know, Absolutely. five truck or less companies. Well, uh, the time that they spend scheduling and, and using like cork boards and calling people and everything else right. is all time that they're not Why working. Why hadn't that been touched? Because, I mean, you know, it's been around for a while and, you know, you're saying everything's going to be transformed. Here's something that's very, and we're going to go into later what happens when it becomes self-driving with jobs and things like that. But what, is it just that you could apply this to any industry that hasn't been, that has cork cords and weird schedules and easily, you know, I remember... Maybe it was you or it was someone who said everything that can be digitized will be digitized, like everything that is possible. I think a number of us have said that. Yeah. Like why did you – are you just suddenly getting to each of them and you just move through them like – Broadly, yes. It's the wave that's going through it. It's the digital transformation of business. Um, But in this particular case, I think the the thing that made it go from, oh, that will happen at some point to that's happening now is that – more of the truckers have smartphones. Right, and so then, the smartphone. Change. And then once you have that smartphone connectivity, then you can begin to close the loop and build the, the features. And you have to have enough critical mass of that because you have to have an active network. And so enough truckers with smartphones, enough shippers going, oh, this these features are very handy for me to make right. my business much more efficient. Right, right. So that's talking of taking industries that exist and changing them. Is is pure technology investing done? I mean, you know, when you're saying, is it at the end? Because like a lot of your early investments, obviously you took resumes and put them online um, at LinkedIn. PayPal, you're taking bill paying and putting it online. Where is pure technology? What do you think about when you're you're looking at, at investments? So um, part of what I look at is I look at does it cr- personally – does it create a large-scale human ecosystem? Mm-hmm. So I tend to be in the touch point of where it's millions to billions of people and it's communicating, working, interacting, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Whatever it happens. Yes, whatever the whatever that human ecosystem tends to be. So I tend to be closer to the loops of things that really matter to people. Some of them can be inventive. Now, that being said, there's a bunch of good work going on on machine learning, artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. That's being applied to a number of areas, anything from – uh, drug discovery to, you know, to Mark Zuckerberg bringing back community. <laughs> yes, That's his, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but it's 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 literally everything, mm-hmm. and so and then there's a bunch of specific deep tech investments uh, within, for example, machine learning. Um, there's other areas where um, there's, you know, like I think like every every device mm-hmm. is being. Uh, to some degree, is ultimately going to be a connected part of the cloud. Right, absolutely. And it's not just a code for Internet of Things, but as you get to everything as a network device, then mm-hmm. it becomes a platform of interesting things on top of that. So we had invested in a software platform called SmartThings, which Samsung acquired. Right. So there's there's a there's a stack of those things which are pretty deep tech as well. Right, which are in- enabling the, yes. the thing. When you look around Silicon Valley, how do you see you since you were doing in the two thousands, you weren't there for the very early days. From your perspective, how has it changed? Have venture capital's gotten better or is it still done in the same kind of way? Oh, that's interesting. So 
I do think it's growing substantially mm -hmm. in its industry. Because there's lots of money. Like, where are you going to put I just saw Dan Lowe yeah. invested in Nestle. I said, it's over. He's <laughs> investing in chocolate at this point. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. here's a guy who was on the cutting edge of a lot of new but, ideas. But I think that there is actually, in fact, still a bunch of interesting ideas here. Now, with a much larger venture community, with much more money, you both get slop, right? Mm -hmm. So you get... Juicero and other mm -hmm. kinds of stuff, you know, mm -hmm. kind of classic. Like, so what? you were not in Juicero. No, okay. Absolutely what, did not. Did you see it? Uh, I got pinged about it, but I didn't really get it, so I didn't okay. do a meeting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I was right. like, I don't understand. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, and then you've got, um, but you, and then you got real uh, serious things as well. So I think part of what's happening is I do think there is in a, in addition to obviously some goofy stuff happening, which happens when it gets much larger. Mm -hmm. There's also an increasing professionalization. There's an understanding about like what tech platforms need to be created. There's more uh, VCs who, like for example, there's the profile we hired at Greylock, who are, have themselves been founders or operators right. and how to build them and how to build them to scale. Uh, and, and we think that that is actually a wave that's going on within venture because mm -hmm. I think those folks then know how to go to market, know how to build right. scalable companies and so forth. And so that's, I think, I think you're seeing more of that too, which is good. Mm -hmm. And how do you assess the amount of money that's coming in? Because there, there's just tons. Like, it just doesn't stop. Well, the, the classic pipe dream that I hear about from several VCs is, mm -hmm. is oh, well, maybe we'll have a point where that money will stop coming in because obviously we'll, we can pause and, <laughs> well, and, you and can, reflect. Well, it's not just pause and reflect, but if you have less money, then you have a better gap between the pricing that you can offer and then what you can make. Right. With a ton of money, it's like an overflow of supply. Mm -hmm. All the pricing goes up. And if the equivalent's not happening in the public markets, you have a trickier job right. for how you essentially make money as an investor. Right. And I do think that's a challenge for modern VC because, right. or contemporary VC because – the issue is you have to re be really good at picking. You have to really pick the ones that are going to get to very high scale because it's just a fact. The pricing and the amounts of capital going right. in these have gone up. Enormously. Yes. And how do you IPO? Because nothing has, right? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, this classic, well, will the windows change? And look, there's a whole pattern now that's kind of interesting, which is is a lot of the companies building for a long time before they get public. Right. And or selling. And yeah. we'll talk about that next. We're here with Reed Hoffman. He's a venture capitalist, entrepreneur, operator. What else do you do? Do you make juice? No, not, <laughs> not juice there. Uh, and we'll get back. We'll talk more about where investing is going in Silicon Valley. This show is brought to you by Qualcomm, the company that invented the fundamental technology in everything you love about your phone. From download speeds to stunning photos to GPS, none of it would work the way you count on without Qualcomm engineers getting there first. And now the company that changed everything with the smartphone is about to change everything else. Qualcomm is why you love your smartphone, no matter what brand of phone it is. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash we invent. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who did you talk to this week? Hey, Kara. Guess who I talked to this week? You won't know. But this is Nick Kwa. He writes a newsletter about podcasting. It's called Hot Pod. So this is the most meta conversation I think we've ever had. But it's great. Um, he is literally the guy everyone in the podcast business follows if they want to learn more about the podcast business. So we talk for an hour. It's great. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're here with Reed Hoffman. I don't even have to introduce him. He's a well-known venture capitalist and entrepreneur. He founded something called LinkedIn. He's involved with PayPal. He's been involved with lots of companies, and he's a very well-respected 
mentor in Silicon Valley. And we're talking about where investment goes. Now, one of the things is how you sell these things. Like these valuations are enormous. I think even Uber under trouble is in the $60, $70 billion range. You know, Airbnb, what are they? They're, they're one of your investments. They are one of my investments. I don't know if we've confirmed any pricing. Well, it's high. It's, yes. it's enormously <laughs> high. So what happens to companies like this? Now, I, I consider Airbnb not even, they're in a pretty good place. They, they've got a, a CEO who's quite well-respected. No trouble on the horizon. Um, they've got issues around regulation, which they've continued to fight and work on and try to figure out. Um, but in general, sort of headed on the path. In the old days, that would have been an IPO pretty quickly, would have moved forward. Well, how do you, when you invest in these things, that's probably going to be one of your heads, how do you think about where they go? So I think the part of the strategy that I give all advice to all of my entrepreneurs is the IPO is not like a success milestone. It's a a tool within the chest of how you're building a, a <laughs> world-transforming company. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you need to go earlier because you need the marketing or you need the capital or it's the right time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you go later because you want to work out a bunch of things, right? right? So, for example, you say, look, in the Airbnb cases, we have a great way of, of potentially transforming uh, every city, not just so that, you know, like, for example, every you know a family can be a host if they want to. Sure. But we can also launch things like magical trips, mm-hmm. and we can say, okay, every city can be a tourist destination. Sure, that's part of what we can bring to the city, and why they should mm-hmm. work with us. Because you know, you know, consider Detroit. It's like, well, they have a burgeoning art scene. Well, you can do an art tour, right? Which you got these are experiences, exactly. Okay. And so those experiences, I think, are part of what can then transform a city and transform a community. And part mm-hmm. of you know, Airbnb, it's it's a marketplace in economics, but it's actually a community of experiences and belonging mm-hmm. as part of its spiritual identity. And so taking the time to build all that out is actually, in fact, really important. Right. And you also it's also a transformative company in that I, I go half and half between hotels and Airbnb now, which is really interesting. Yes. I, I was thinking about that the other day with Amazon, too. I ordered something at 1 o'clock. It was there at 6. Yes. And that was $100 I didn't spend in local stores, which yeah. was fun. You know what I mean? It was just changed, yes. utter changed behaviors. So what happens to companies like this when they don't go public? And, you know, your LinkedIn got mm. bought. It got, went mm. public and then mm. it got bought. Can you walk me through, like, what do you do when you're a company like these companies where you're kind of, like, you're on your way to bigness, but you're not quite there and you're... Well, I think Airbnb is big now. Yes, it is. But I think part of their thing is to say, look, we've got a lot of different countries. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, they're doing a lot of work in China and a bunch of other things. Right, Cuba, which could be troublesome now. (laughs) Yes, but... Thanks, but but, Yes, exactly. (laughs) But I think, like, for example, bringing Cuba into the kind of global community is actually good for everybody, right. including the Cubans, but everybody, including us Americans. And so um, I, I think that part of their thing is say, look, let's build out a bunch of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't need an IPO now, right? The capital markets are, are available. Are, are available. Uh, our people are happy and working. They don't need the liquidity uh, in the stock in terms of employees or investors. Mm-hmm. Let's just keep building. There will be a point at which they decide that this is the right time to do it because it helps the world understand us the right way. Maybe that's around magical trips. Maybe that's around something else. And so I think it's a company-by-company choice. Mm -hmm. And you just advise them differently. So why then, for example, sell LinkedIn? Could you explain that for me now that you're here? Uh, Well, I can try. Um, So, I mean, part of the thought for – I believe, and the companies I most like to be involved in are fundamentally mission-driven, mm-hmm. that we're all essentially servants to the mission, right. right? And so part of the mission for LinkedIn is how do you enable every individual to maximize their own economic opportunity sure. and their control over their own path? 
whether it's investing in skills, finding jobs, opportunities, being entrepreneurs, the whole thing. So for us, it has always been from the very first time that we started doing whiteboarding was how do we get down to daily benefit to mm-hmm. users? How do we make sure that they say, you can use your network to help navigate your professional life in a daily mm-hmm. fashion? And you know, we couldn't start there. You start with a narrow focus. We start with, okay, you know, uh, the job switches and kind of career management. But as you begin to get down to your workflow, we said, okay, how do we do that? Well, the timing came around where Microsoft said, look, there's a bunch of stuff where you guys are doing network as a platform that would be really helpful to our mission, which is how right. we transform organizations right. and to make them more productive. Which they've been buying around that area, especially yeah. under Satya Nadella. Yes, exactly. But like that's really important to us, and you could be a really important part of that. And we said, well, actually, in fact, and you could be a really important part about how we transform individuals. And this is one of those places where the two missions actually, in fact, really align. They're mm-hmm. friends with each other. And so uh, we had a uh, lengthy conversation um, where we said, look, do we do we look at the world the same way? Do, mm-hmm. we, do we care about, for example, like one of the things that's really important in LinkedIn is every individual member, even the people who, most especially the people who don't pay us, mm-hmm. are actually, in fact, our top customers. We pay a lot right. of attention to serving them well. Does that work within the Microsoft framework? And Satya was not, not only does it work, it can be really helpful right. for what we bring to the world and is actually an important component of what we add in. And so uh, and to give you a sense of how uh, great of a leader Sachi has been on this, is like post-deal, he was like, when we did integration, he said, well, because normally what happens, this may be too too businessy for, for, right. for the broad audience, but um, is normally you break, take an executive at uh, Microsoft and you make them do the integration mm-hmm. because that's all you bring them in the Microsoft culture. Well, part of making these two missions friends and, and getting the best from both uh, uh, Satya turn to Jeff and say, "Will you lead the integration?" Right, right. Which is the first I've ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. Like I think ever. Well, he's a very <laughs> capable executive. Right? Yeah, no, yeah. it was, the, but it was very smart on both sides. So he's doing that. I just yes. pinged him last night if he was going to be CEO of Uber, just so you know. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yes, I, I think that would be capital no. But yes, <laughs> yeah, he likes where he is. Actually, he'd be a very good candidate. Like if you were oh, capable. Less. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're thinking about that, what to do, could LinkedIn not make it on its own or, or was oh, it no. just sort of? No, the question you is. You don't sell unless you, just because it would work better, it would well, get you where faster. Well, just to take the, the next statement to the next mm-hmm. level, how do we scale the mission? Mm-hmm. How do we accomplish the things we're doing? And it was now, better with Microsoft yes. or, or whoever. You were yeah. also talking to Salesforce and yeah. others. So we had a set of ideas and plans about what we could do. And then we lined up our set of plans, risk discounted, amount mm-hmm. of work could we get there versus what we could do with Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And we could get there much stronger with Microsoft. Now, we had to make sure we were good for all constituents, good for shareholders, good for employees. Mm-hmm. You know, it isn't just, you know, like you know, the mission is super important, but there's a bunch of constituencies you need to be good for. And so mm-hmm. we made sure all that worked. So when you're thinking about stuff like that, because I think a lot, I have the feeling that a lot of these companies are going to sell to bigger companies, like in, in the next couple of years. I, I'm actually working on a story about Uber, who could buy them if they Microsoft's obvious on that list. But although I think there's others that are more obvious uh, buyers, uh, but I had never really thought I would think of it this much. Like I think about, like I think about Airbnb, who could buy them, who could buy, the, you know, uh, Spotify. There's a list as long as you can see that. I think LinkedIn to me was a harbinger of things that could happen. How do you look at that? Because the idea of Silicon Valley is to build the apples, the Facebooks, the future. Is that changed from your nope, perspective? Not at all. Uh, matter of fact, you know, whenever we. Uh, Facebook flirted with selling, too. They all did. Yes. Google did, for sure. Look, let me move this way. So all the top-tier venture firms, Greylock included, all mm-hmm. invest with the hope to create a world-transforming independent right. company. Yes, they like to say that. Right. 
but it's true in the case of that's what you're shooting for, mm -hmm. right? Obviously, you only get there in a small percentage of the cases because other things, like when you look at it, well, the company can't make it on its own, or, or does better somewhere else, or does better somewhere else, and kind of, uh, and you do the right thing by the company, by the shareholders, by the employees, by the customers, like all mm -hmm. of these things actually, in fact, really matter. And so, I don't think it's changed at all that that's the goal. I do think that you have this. Uh, it's a good thing that you now have a much bigger palette. Mm -hmm. Like it's a good thing that you know people say, well. You know, there are, there are, you know, pick your number, five, whatever, great big, you know, U.S. tech companies. Mm -hmm. And uh, they say, well, that's a problem. It's like, well, actually, no, it's 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 growing in number. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. Right. 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 Like so more who would of you list the them as? Who would you list them as, the great big tech companies? Well, I mean. Facebook. Uh, Facebook. Google. Uh, Google. Microsoft. Amazon. Oh, now I'm blocking on Apple. One. Apple. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I blocking on Apple? <laughs> anyway. They don't buy a lot. That's <laughs> well, the, the weird thing, one of the things I, I think um, Apple is, um, most of the companies, large and small, really benefit from being part of the Silicon Valley network. Mm -hmm. Apple is somewhat askew from it. Like they, they don't right. actually really invest in being connected to Silicon Valley, mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm. you know, I think they, they say, look, we're inventors. We take pride in that. We do great things, and all of that's true. It's just kind of funny because it's it's the it's a it's an iconic Silicon Valley company that's not one of the ones that deeply no. embedded within Silicon no, Valley. They're by themselves. Yeah. They hang by themselves. Yeah. They're a little more older. They're older. They're mm. more mature. Mm. I just had an event that they were at, and I I have to say I was like, oh god, adults. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Like oh, I can have an adult conversation about something. When you think about where it's going, then you have this idea. I want to talk about that's Blitz Scale, which is your new book coming. About. And then the next section I want to talk about politics and, and the Silicon Valley's responsibility, because I think a lot about jobs now. And we'll get to that in the next section. But what does Blitzscale mean? Is it that you just can't do it anywhere else, that you can't? So Blitzscale. Although Blitz, you know, is a loaded word, but go uh, ahead. I know. And actually, uh, I think Krieg, but. Yes. Know. No, no. Well, I had to think about it a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I could try to be a little uh, coy and say, well, it's like Blitz and sports, right? Because there's Blitz <laughs> and sports. But but actually, in fact, the, the intellectual parallels to Blitzkrieg were too close, right? right. Which is the, the innovation of moving super fast in order to accomplish something that's decisive within a war, which mm -hmm. is the Blitzkrieg context. Right. And here it's decisive within a market, decisive within a space. And part of the innovation that has been developed over – uh, years, decades at Silicon Valley is how do you uh, use the Silicon Valley network to decision on certain um, subset of ideas? Could be Airbnb, could be Uber, you know, Pinterest, Dropbox, etc. You know, LinkedIn, Facebook, and you say, let's see that these things are working. Let's see that they have kind of an interesting business model, and let's let's uh, assemble a bunch of resources, everything from capital to talent to knowledge to help them get to global market very fast. Mm -hmm. and that's Hence the blitz. Hence the blitz. And mm -hmm. that's part of the reason why, you know, in a, um, in a uh, populous region, like not every, like, and this is a, the tech sub, sub, subsection is tiny, there's four, four and a half million people in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, the, ma the majority of the $100 billion plus tech companies within the English world are made here. Right, like, right. That's astonishing, right, <laughs> right? Right. And so, and this is this is the reason why. That's mm -hmm. the reason why I started doing the book. That's mm -hmm. the reason I was doing the podcast, Masters of Scale, is to show that, and also to show how it is done. Because I think the world's better off. So, give me give some tips. How is it done? Well, so 
For that you can do it. That you can take it and replicate it in other places. It's not that hard. It's not that easy to do. It's not that easy to do. Right. We, it's almost impossible, actually. Well, it's not Israel. Uh, it's Russia, it's not, well. There's Russia and look. There's it's not a hundred percent Spotify, mm-hmm. right? That's uh, that's one. That's Sweden. Well, but look, it's it's say it's much harder other yeah. places, but not impossible. Right. And so part of the thought um, within you know uh, the book, the the Stanford class, the podcast. Mm-hmm. All of those things are to say, here is how to get some of that information of what we do. Now, we benefit intensely from having an intense talent network, a bunch of companies, people who are trading information back and forth about how to develop these, how to go to market. Mm -hmm. Not confidential information, but the practicum of how do you blitz scale in a a really uh, spectacular way. But... That's part of the reason why we do these mm-hmm. uh, these podcasts. Right. That's part of the reason why we say, okay, here is some of the things. And so some of it is, for example, like one thing that Silicon Valley was getting a bunch of grief on, especially in the first internet boom, mm-hmm. was a willingness to invest a bunch of capital before you proved your business model, before right. you proved your unit no economics. Profits, but, yeah. And you said, oh, that's totally crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, and actually what we learned was it is totally crazy unless you have a good theory of your business model. You don't have to have proven it. But you have to at least have thought Amazon. about it. Yes. Amazon. You have to have thought. Okay. Exact example of that, right? Exactly. So it's like, no, no, we've, we've got a business model. But by the way, we're going to invest a billion dollars. Right. Hundreds of millions, billions right. in order to get there. And that's actually okay. Well, in Amazon's case, it's interesting because they always compare Uber to that. Although I opposite argument that Amazon took that wasted money or whatever, and they built moats around it. Moat yes. after moat after moat. Technology moats, warehouse moats. Expertise modes, relationship modes. That's not something others do very well. And I'm not using calling Uber out particularly, but there's no moat. There's not as many moats as you can. Well, but I actually think part of what becomes part of when do you blitz scale is mm-hmm. when you think you have network effects. When and right. how do you build those network effects? You build in reputation systems, right. you know, into it. Where if the reputation system catches, then that becomes part of a network effect or something else that sets you apart and stuff like that. So give me a good give them the skills that you need to blitz scale. You need money, obviously, uh, money, a ton of money. Uh, you need to learn very fast. You need to not only learn from what you're accomplishing uh, by bringing your product to the market, presumably fast. This is part of minimum viable product. Uh, you know, the quote that I'm really associated with, if you're not embarrassed by your first product release, you release too late. Yes, yeah. You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then you need so to be- fast, m- tons of money. Tons of money. Uh, and then you need to have an approach by which you're always recruiting and you're bringing in talent. And then you're also scaling your organization and reorganizing it. So you're not trying to design your perfect organization from the beginning as much as you're always recruiting great talent in. And part of recruiting that great talent in is you're going to be shifting the talent around. The people who who, who made you successful when you were 50 people won't be the exact same people at the executive level or at the top management level who are making you successful at 250 people. Right. That will actually change. It's hard for people to do. And it's hard for people to do. And that's why you have advisors, you pick investors who know how to help you with this, mm-hmm. you know, and that all becomes part of the playbook. There's also an ability to hire above yourself, like hire mm-hmm. smarter people, which I think doesn't happen in a lot of companies. They, yes. the, the CEO tends to try to collect information themselves, keep it to themselves and others. The one, the more successful ones I've noticed are like Zuckerberg, where he put, he, he brought in a lot of people who were more capable than he was. He's obviously capable. Though. Oh, he's super capable. Yeah, I mean, but the people he brought in were no shrinking violet. There's not one shrinking violet among them. And you can track that even though 
everyone he brought in was strong. He replaced people. He replaced people as he figured, oh, this is what I need to be at this level of scale. Mm -hmm. This is what I need in order to, this is what raising the bar at this level of the game is. Right. And and Zuck is a classic example of an infinite learner. Mm -hmm. He is on everything, everything. What problems can you run into? And then when we, next section we'll talk about politics. But what what is the and responsibility? What are the problems you run into? Because I, we had I forget the guy from Geography of Happiness to Geography of Innovation. Things can fall apart. Cultures ultimately die. There was Rome. There was Greece. There was this, and this will eventually pass. Well, so hopefully I mean, we'll be dead, Reed, but that's fine. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I, look, I think part of what what's the problem that you would see. Well, so the look, the problems are eventually it all gets inward focused. Um, what happens is political systems, and we're going to go to politics, but hardened uh, for the incumbents against challengers. I think one of the things that keeps Silicon Valley special is we all, we allow a constant set of challenge. We don't allow the incumbents to try to lock out challengers and sure. we support new challengers. I think as long as we have the freshness of that, that will give us a much longer arc. Maybe not infinite, mm-hmm. but a much longer arc. You know, I think the um, if we get um, if I think maybe there's no new technology event, or we get lazy, or you know perhaps the we get too self-important and we're not always learning. Because like that never happens. Yeah, nothing ever happens. <laughs> I mean, you have to bring a new mind to this. You have to mm-hmm. always be learning. I mean, in my first book, The Startup View, I called it permanent beta, mm-hmm. right? Which is like always be thinking, how am I learning? How am I improving in what I'm doing? You can think about that as an individual, but also as an organization. How do you keep an organization like that when they have untold wealth and untold? You know, people licking them up and down all day. And, you know, you, you ultimately lose your edge. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I don't know, I guess I think you try to make, you try to keep the culture and the focus alive as long as possible. And you try to make sure that the progressive leadership really focuses on that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think anything is ever forever. But, you know, like, for example, sometimes new stars rise and the new stars may help catalyze the old ones. I mean, it's it, like uh, I'm fundamentally not utopian but optimistic. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, I, I don't think it's a game that you just ultimately always lose. I think mm-hmm. you can – it's like life. You keep fighting. Well, I think a little bit sometimes – and it sounds crazy like the Democratic Party or some of the parties, they sometimes lose their ways because the people engaging them are just – it is an age. It's not just age. It's too long around and not open to fresh and then don't see it coming. Yeah. But, kind of stuff. But the hope is, is you leave the paths by which challengers, entrepreneurs, young people, et cetera, can formulate a new great thing. Then, mm-hmm. then, then those new great things are born, and that's what carries us along. Or fear. Are they scared enough of China, for example? Are they scared enough of— Well, fear can be a motivator as well. Um, hopefully you translate that into positive things. I mean, Suggest. not everyone does. Well, so right. for example, you say, "Look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fearful that I can pay the bills, so therefore I go and invent a company and I create a bunch of jobs and everything mm-hmm. else." That's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Fear, insofar as you attack something or you engage in xenophobia or something mm-hmm. else, that's not right. so positive. When you think about that, are you are you, when you look at somewhere like, is there somewhere part of the of the world where you go, they, "We better get cracking like they are"? Is it China? I would assume it's China. Uh, so I think, look, I think China, look, it's super impressive. They brought a, you know, like hundreds of millions of people out mm-hmm. of poverty. I think right. it's a good thing in humanity in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think there's a bunch of things that they are actually, in fact, proactively investing in, everything from infrastructure to technology as a government, that we should also be doing as a society. There's things we should be learning from China mm-hmm. in this. And, you know, look, if it's, if it's, a, it's a friendly competition for – 
who builds the next interesting set of, of, of technologies or tech companies or uh, helps define a sense of kind of what does stability in the world look like, that's a perfectly good thing. Um, but I, I tend to say, look, one of the things that I think is most important is that we build good bridges with Europe and good bridges with China. Mm-hmm. And actually, in fact, that creates a stable world order for creativity right. and for growth. And so, yes, you might be you may be racing against your friends, mm-hmm. but you want to be building bridges there versus walls. This will be, versus All right, walls, perfect. Exactly. We are going to talk about building walls and uh, the, the regime of Donald Trump next with Reid Hoffman. I also wanted to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good of The Verge. Hey, I'm just trying to set up a Finsta here. I've got a... <laughs> You're too old, Lauren. Instagram. Lauren, that every I, no, Friday we ask mm-hmm. your questions about consumer health. Lauren, who did we talk to this week? What did we talk well, about? Well, speaking of Finstas, this week we talked about teens and technology with Casey Newton of The Verge, one of my favorite people, and someone named Louis Swisher, who just happens to have the last name as you, and I'm pretty yes. sure you gave birth to. Yes, they're right here. Say hello, Louis and Casey. Hello. Hey. Yes, and you guys taught us all about what the teens are talking about. If you've ever been curious what the teens are doing on their phones, you are going to want to listen to this. All right, Lewis. <laughs> this Lewis, podcast has everything. Stop Snapchatting and tell us, right? Say yes, Mom. Yes, ma'am. Okay, good. <laughs> it was a great discussion, and we hope you'll go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Reed Hoffman, a well-known venture capitalist, investor, and political activist, I think. I, you're pretty much the the person everyone wants to be, the Koch brothers of the left. That's I know you don't want me to say that, but I, so many people said it to me about you <laughs> that it's hard not to say it. Talk about your, your political activism. You talked a little bit at the beginning, but you got more. What prompted you? Because, by the way, for people that don't know, you're very good friends with Peter Thiel. I am. Right, which is like— that I must, still am. That should be a reality show, the two of you log- locked in a room essentially discussing things. Well, in 1996, uh, and I have the DVDs of it, but I haven't decided what to do, and I gave them Peter as well. Uh, Peter and I did a public access cable show. Oh, hello. Hand <laughs> yes. them over to Kara Swisher. That's what you do. <laughs> yes. So I have to rewatch them. They're, they're much younger selves. <laughs> On what access? Like, like it was Cupertino, Pacifica, I think. Right. And what did you do? Just uh, argue? with each other? We basically invited... You're a leftist. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I prefer the term progressive. Progressive. Okay. All right. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I believe in a greater society. I think we should work towards it. I think we invest in it. Uh, and... Um, uh, and so Peter and I basically would invite in a guest, mm-hmm. and then we'd argue with each other over the guest. <laughs> well, you know, it's a very simple like, format. Who came? Um, let's see. Well, we had a set of different folks. I think it was the – I have to remember his name, but one of them was the current editor back then of the American Spectator. Oh, my. Oh, who right. was that? Oh, yeah. God. I'm trying to remember his so name. So you just would have intellectual discussions. Yes. How did you get to be friends with him? Like, what was – you worked on the company together, right? Well, so, no, no. We, we've known each other for a long time. We had, I think, both heard about each other when we were undergraduate – freshmen at Stanford. Okay. Uh, he had heard that there was this pinko commie. That was uh-huh. me. Okay. I had heard there was this guy who was right-wing of a of the Hun, that right, was him, yeah, right, okay. and we both heard about each other, and right. we were curious because uh, it was like, hmm, that's that interesting. Right. Yeah, that guy. And so then we um, we were in a class together, a sophomore year called uh, Philosophy eighty, Mind, Matter, and Meeting. Oh my! And we went, oh wait, I think I've heard of you. Mm-hmm. And so we chatted a bit, and then we met uh, on the next Sunday, and then we argued for eight hours. Right. And the kind of argument we did, there's this kind of argument called reductio ad absurdum, which mm-hmm. is you try to 
show that someone's premises are false by the fact that they lead to absurd conclusions. I see. Uh -huh. And so we were like doing this argument against each other. I was like, ah, I got you now because then you must believe this absurd conclusion. And both of us would say, oh, yes, of course I believe that. Right. I'm like, oh, you can't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you spend the eight hours arguing. Uh -huh. And I think one of the things that Peter and I um, most share in a very strong way mm -hmm is the belief in reason, the belief in argumentation, the belief in discussion, okay. the belief in talking about these theories and so forth. And for example, one of the things that I think Peter uh, holds as a challenge to the left, which I think is both true for the left and the right, both have this problem, is you can't really engage in the discussion unless you can build the argument on the other side. Unless right. you can articulate the argument on the other side, <laughs> you're not really having a discussion, you're not really reasoning. And that's one of the things that Peter frequently feels that the the, the lefty progressives mm -hmm. uh, don't do right by, you know. They're not making the their argument. They're not yeah. making their argument. And They're understanding not. what the other side's argument is and responding mm -hmm. to that as right. opposed to just saying, oh, you're a racist or da, 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 right. And it's like, no, no, that's not, look, there are racists who voted for Trump. And he said a number of things. Yeah, that are and true. he said a number of things that are fucking right? said, That's terrible. Okay, go right ahead. You can say <laughs> right. fucking terrible. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely unconscionable mm -hmm. and should never be said by anyone but who's seeking to anyway. But he says them anyway. And so, can I ask you, is he doing that just to be an asshole, just to cause I, I discussion? I don't know. I've never met him. Um, right. No, no, Peter. Oh, Peter. Well, he doesn't say that. I wasn't talking about Peter. I was talking about Trump. Trump, yes, yes, <laughs> right. unconscionable. No, I don't think Peter says those kinds of things. Right. So some of the things he said have been unconscionable. Like some of the Give stuff me an around example. the women and the day rapes. It's just like he. Oh, he, I've never heard those. Yeah, he said a bunch of stuff that's really like you're sort of like really. So like, you're gonna need to. Yeah. Oh. You, you can argue with him, but okay. here you are. Yeah. You you want to argue with someone in an intellectual way, even yes. if you disagree with them. So yes. that's the premise, is yes. the concept, which is a great premise, and by, by the way. And by the way, do give me those things, because I will go right. fix those. With oh, oh, no. <laughs> this was when he was in college. I think, okay. you know, I dealt with a lot of these, the right-wingers. At Georgetown, we had the Young Americans for mm -hmm. Freedom, and they just sometimes like to just poke right. at left-wing well, people who then react, overreact badly. So I think, well, so one thing that happens frequently with Peter mm -hmm. is that Peter spa uh, states things very precisely. Yes, yes. And is. sometimes people mistake his precision yes. in how he's doing it. So like, for example, um, I went after him uh, uh, in a private conversation about the, oh, people are taking Trump you know, literally and not seriously, and they oh, should yes. be taking him seriously, not literally, yeah, yeah. right? And I was like, this is unconscionable. You can't mm -hmm. say that. And he's like, oh, I wasn't defending it. I was simply describing what people oh, were okay, doing. yeah, no, I, I was know. like, oh, okay. I know. That's a bit of precision. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> right? yeah. um, and so, you know, you get those kinds of things. Now, I think what motivates Peter is that Peter worries that actually, in fact, there's a bunch of sloppy thinking motivated by political interests that trend to enforce a kind of a political correctness right. in thought I get it. that he really wants to break because mm -hmm. he wants to make sure that we actually, in fact, get to the right conclusions mm -hmm. and so forth. And mm -hmm. that that sometimes gets him to be a little fiercer right. than your right. average bear, right. Right. but also sometimes in this precision and language, which I challenge Well, him. I think the arguments over political correctness also don't take the fact that there's some things you just can't say anymore, like you shouldn't be able to say. And I get freedom of speech. I know the Silicon mm -hmm. Valley meme of libertarianism, and he and I had a big discussion about gay rights at one point, and he, of course he never had children. He doesn't understand the risk. He, you know what I mean? And I was like, mm -hmm. why don't you have a kid, and then let's have another discussion about that. So getting away from him, but you got politicized early, so you were politicized early, mm -hmm. but you weren't very politically active, as I recall, until no, recently. No, and like I said, I um, or like I said earlier, I I 
I've realized that part of my resistance to being involved in politics is that I prefer non-zero-sum games. I prefer right. to build things. And I prefer to change the world for everyone by what you're building. So you make a company and that's how you efficiently yeah. change, and, right? and trying to make it so that the, the pie is just much larger, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's, like we're making progress. Well, companies have had more impact socially than people realize, yes, too. exactly. And so, uh, and it's not just companies. It's also nonprofits, technologies, mm-hmm. a bunch of things. And so, but companies, too. And so that's the reason why historically I I kind of feel like I need to be lightly. I, I decided once I you know got um, made some money and everything else, I basically said, look, I need to contribute. I need to do my part, but I don't need to be very deeply involved in politics. I got involved last year because uh, I basically think on a variety of fronts, you know, Trump's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I refer to this amongst my friends is the Trump apocalypse. Yes, you do. I've and heard of that. yes, exactly. And uh, and then one of the things that uh, you know now you know with some of my friends, you say you know OTT, which is other than Trump apocalypse, how are you doing? <laughs> right. And you know, when people say, well, what do you mean? I say, well, for example, I uh, I think that actually, in fact. Uh, good relations with Europe, good relations with China are part of what create a stable, healthy world. It's Absolutely. part of what minimizes the risks of, 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 of dangerous state actors like North Korea and so mm-hmm. forth is when you have those bridges. And, you know, I think as, as I would have predicted in 2016, I think what I see in 2017 is, is basically destroying those yes. bridges. I mean, anything, I think, not I think just our, yes. everything. Yes. And so our courts, our legal system, yeah. our FBI, our... Yes. Where does that come from, from your perspective? Well, I think— um, And it's something your friend Peter Thiel supports, seemingly. <laughs> well, I, he and I argue a bunch about that. Mm. I think that it comes from the fact that, look, personal speculation, I have no information. I think Trump won because I thought he thought it was an easy way of marketing his brand, just like The Apprentice. He thought he wanted to create Trump TV and and mm-hmm. build the Trump brand and then kind of surprise, and he won. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's yeah. what it seems oh, like from yeah. the outside. Oops, right? yeah. Because— you know, you would expect someone who is actually running uh, for president to actually have policies, actually right. have a right. – I have a set of things that I, as a plan for what I'm trying to no. do as opposed to it's tremendous. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm not going to tell you about it because that would reveal it. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, you can reveal a health care plan if mm-hmm. you have one. Right, <laughs> right, right which he didn't. Right. Which he doesn't and so forth. And so I, I think that that's part of the – like the part of the thing is I don't – I think he's just it, – it's like somebody uh, closing their eyes – um, possibly drinking a bottle of vodka and then driving down the highway at high speed. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's huh. essentially what you're saying. Right. And so what do you, you moved quickly to organize, but Silicon Valley didn't that quickly. They sort of were, they sort of dragged their feet to Hillary. Well, she doesn't like her, so, uh, you know, and I'm like, well, the alternative is pretty bad. Like, you might just want to sign on to the Hillary campaign. And they pulled, they dragged their feet. They were very non-political this year. They had embraced Obama, which you had too. You had been... Yep. Uh, involved, but not as involved as others. You were sort. You were you were involved. I, I slowly. I was not involved in the first uh, four Obama. years of Obama. Yeah. So for me, I got involved with with Obama because because, like I said, I was avoiding politics generally. Mm-hmm. But he and his his lieutenants were reaching out to me, saying, "Look, we're trying to figure out how to build good things for the U.S. Can sure. you help us?" And right. I was like, "Oh, great, that great. appeals to you. I want to build stuff. That sounds right. great. I'll, I'm willing to help with that. You know, like let's think through some of these issues, the technologies, and jobs, and other kinds of things." And um, and then uh, and then similarly, you know, Hillary reached out, and I was like, "Great, I'm happy to help." Mm-hmm. And obviously, think the alternative is 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 a <laughs> OTT. Is OTT. Mm-hmm. And uh, and part of the reason I'm staying active is I still think we have this kind of place where 
like for example, you're you know tweeting about coal miner jobs. You mm-hmm. don't want coal miner jobs. You want the jobs of the future, and right. you want them for people in right. Kentucky and Virginia and so forth. Mm-hmm. You want that's what you want to have happen, and you mm-hmm. you don't make empty promises. Right. You make real things happen. Right. And I think from Silicon Valley perspective is that Silicon Valley tends to be also we want to build the future. Right. And so they're like, look, if we can stay out of politics, we'd love right. to, so we could go do that. I think that's changing because. Uh, well, they having, stayed out of this political election until it was over and then looked like they were sucking up to him again. Well, I think, look, on the charitable read, okay. um, I think the answer is, say, hey, let us just go build things that will really make a big difference for people. Right. <laughs> right. right. Like kind of like uh, – Which has in, been Silicon Valley's thing. I recall yes. Gates like that early in the year. Oh, yeah. I don't need these political right. people until they sued him almost out of existence. Like, yeah. And so I think – but I think the, uh, in in light defense – of the technology industry. Mm-hmm. Like I think the moment that you start seeing things like these kind of uh, uh, crazy and, and kind of look, see, uh, appearing racist bands like mm-hmm. a, like the Muslim travel band and mm-hmm. so forth, like those things, I think, you know, the technology industry got off its ass pretty quickly and said, yes. we stand against this. Right. This yes. is unacceptable. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And so I think their their first part was kind of a bit of naivete of hey we'll just build our things we'll, build our things we'll make our that. next Instagram <laughs> yes. blank and slash. not really realizing right. that when you have this kind of careening car mm-hmm. you know um, blowing other cars off the highway going down there it's going to affect you it's going to affect you too and right. you actually need to be in it shouldn't still be better. Like, that's how I feel. Everyone's yeah. sort of like, I don't really consider Wall Street going to step up. They're just not. They're going to do whatever. It's a, but, you know, I think I, I have surrounded myself with people who all day tell me how great they are, and then they're not so great. And so I find that a little disappointing. So I think uh, we should all be a little disappointed, and then we should work on it. Right. So so uh, what do they do? What does Silicon Valley do now? They didn't support Hillary that heavily. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They ha- they're still sort of inching towards politicization. And, and I, I want to finish up talking about that idea of that it's unavoidable now, not just because of Trump, mm-hmm. because of the things they're developing for the future, AI, self-driving cars. They have a major impact on this society in a way that yep. Instagram never will. So I think, so I think they're becoming a more and more strong force in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the power of the tech industry is growing, not just economics, but the way they transform the world with technologies. And so I think the important thing is to to, to grow up some, to mm-hmm. realize that you have the responsibilities of that power. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean to not still do the, like, let's go build things as fast as we can, mm-hmm. but let's also engage in dialogue, hear people's concerns, not just presume that because we can build it, we should know exactly how it should be built, but like making sure that we're paying attention to kind of mm-hmm. constituencies, like constituencies of people who want to be part of the future and, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, you know, diversity and inclusion and all of that stuff. And so uh, I think, and so I think that's part of what I think we're seeing happening now. Or at least this may be my optimistic self, but I think we can make it happen. Is we're seeing the technology um, uh, industry uh, grow, uh, grow up. So how so? Give me an example. You're doing WTF, which I think is the worst name ever, as you know. Uh, you don't think I, it's the best well, name ever? No, because it's like a little juvenile man joke. So what the <laughs> fuck? Thank you very much. But it's we something the forward, right? Win the future. Win the future. Okay, yes. whatever. It's a guy joke. It's such a guy well, joke. Come on. Well, okay. We can pull it. But okay, the idea was to appeal to millennials. Yes, I get that. I get that. <laughs> right. I get that. And a little bit of tongue-in-cheek is actually one know, of the things I the millennials But I think millennials like, are smarter than yes. we give them credit of course. for. And they're not as juvenile. You're, what you're trying to do is create a political party? Mm. That's Is that correct? Or what are you, what are you doing with that? Well, so I think... I think the idea is to help create a movement that says, look, this is what we care about 
in the future, and it's both essentially pro-society, like we care about mm-hmm. things like tolerance and tolerance and you know inclusion, uh, inclusion, and everything diversity. Else. We care about business. We care about climate. We want all of these things. We want. We don't want this to be like oh, this these issues are on this side of the divide. These issues are on this side. We want to kind of reinvent the. Here is how we mm-hmm. build towards a future that we want, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so, and then create a social network uh, that focuses on that. Okay. And so uh, that's that's what the goal of that particular project is. Mm-hmm. Uh, other projects um, are also to kind of sense of like for example, one of the things that uh, Jeff and I and a few people are talking about is like, what does the future work look like? Right. How do we make sure that's sufficiently inclusive? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's an angle of how do we use LinkedIn as a platform to help sure. with that. I mean, obviously, LinkedIn right now tends to be the more aspirational, higher paid professional jobs. But how mm-hmm. do we make that much broader? And then how do we help everyone figure out how to get how, how, how that work is created and how they find that work. Do you think Silicon Valley has a responsibility for job loss and job change? Because, you know, we, we create self-driving cars. It has an impact. It, it doesn't have a little – like, talk about truck driving. It ends truck driving as we know it. So, like, I think there's a responsibility to think about it to try to have the best possible impacts. Mm-hmm. So, for example, truck driving. Yep, you have autonomous trucks. Uh, you know, in the pattern, truck Millions driving is a job, goes away. Now – Maybe it also transforms space. Maybe uh, new suburbs are created, and there's a whole bunch of space that's created on that. Maybe there's new forms of productivity by which you can participate in things mm-hmm. while you're in essentially autonomous vehicles and doing things. Uh, that's part of the reason you have to be pro-entrepreneurship. And so what I would say is Silicon – people frequently take the question you said and said, well, does Silicon Valley have a responsibility not to create autonomous vehicles? I think that's – No, that's not going to – yes. you, you, me, and Mark talked about yes. that. But Mark's attitude was like, ah, oh, the blacksmiths, no. oh, well. No. But I was thinking, what no. happened to those blacksmiths? Yes. There was a pain. There was pain associated yep. and political pain and societal tumult and everything yes. else. And I think you and I were like, exactly. oh, there's yes. a little bit of pain exactly. in that. And he's like, that oh, doesn't matter. Yep. Like, And so I think the responsibility is to say – how do we help in those intervening cases too? This is one of the reasons why, you know, Jeff and I have been working on the okay. How does LinkedIn help people find other kinds of work or to to, to be entrepreneurial themselves? This is actually one of the things I like about Airbnb's magical trips. Mm-hmm. If you can allow these essentially micro entrepreneurs to create experiences, that's another way they can say, well, I can't truck drive anymore, but I can do a tour of like the microbreweries in Detroit. Right. But right. can we get people to be entrepreneurial? Because I think about that. It's like the way we educate people is not to be entrepreneurial. It's like it's not at all. It's, it's just some people are. And some. And I look at that in journalism. I think yep. I'm entrepreneurial and others just aren't. Yep. And how do you make people be on – like this is the solution obviously. Yep. But how do you get people to there? So, I mean, to some degree – Look, I, I don't know if I'm successful yet, but I'm taking multiple shots at this goal, mm-hmm. right? LinkedIn is actually, in a sense, a tool to be entrepreneurial in your career, mm-hmm. however you're doing it. Startup of you, here's entrepreneur advice focused on the individual. Mm-hmm. Masters of scale, here's building tips. these great companies and tips and so forth and doing that. So I think I think you can shift the add to the skill set. It doesn't mean that everyone's going to be perfectly entrepreneurial, but you can add to the skill set. Then the second thing I think is in addition to getting people to be entrepreneurial – you need to get platforms to make it easier, mm-hmm. right? That's part of the reason why LinkedIn, that's part of the reason why Airbnb and Magical Trips, that's part of the, like, how do we build those platforms that enable they that? They can access into. They like, and access. Kiva, which you yes. also are involved in. Exactly. Do you want to become sort of a political kingmaker? Would you like, no, I'm not going to use the code <laughs> but the idea is why don't you assemble $500 million and start killing? Like, you know what I mean? Like killing from the left. Well, so. You'd be the one. I'm sorry to tell you, but you're the. There's no brother with you either, but uh, um, just you. Yes. So 
by very strong preference, it's build to a better future for all mm-hmm. of us. I'd rather spend $500 million dollars doing that mm-hmm. any day of the week. Now, that being said, if you have people that are essentially being active destruct, uh, agents co- of, of destruction, of those, yeah. right? So, for example, gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. Right? Gerrymandering is a travesty in democracy. Absolutely. It really needs to be fixed. It's actually part of what leads to the extremity and the, the, and the mm-hmm. polarization. Mm-hmm. Because look, in an outside perspective, you say, look, why don't we get together to plan the future? Why don't we agree on what the right thing is versus just attacking each other? So, right. for example, you know, uh, the Obama administration would love to do infrastructure bills. But, oh, no, if we're a Republican Congress, we're not going to allow that because right. we don't want there to well, be a political win. Same thing around healthcare. Yeah. No one is, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I don't think the Democrats should go along with this. But not going along with it means we're not going to get anything good. Yeah. This is that, well, I think the Democratic complaint was correct to say, do it in public. Right. right. I agree. Talk to us. Uh, besides right. the point, but yes. they're not cooperating. Yes. Like nobody's. Co- why should we cooperate with them? And I agree. Why yeah. should we? Well, but I look. I think we're better off when we get to when we actually are collaborating. That that would be the that's the yes. universe to target. Yes, that's going to be my last question. How do we get there? But but why don't you start? Building up your war chest so their war chest doesn't like well, so mutate everybody. What I would say is I am looking for kind of call it the the way that I look at what I do in Silicon Valley is I build Archimedean levers, mm-hmm. right? So you build a lever that changes the world. Yes, lift the world. Right? Oh, you're so good. See, I just want to. I wished I had taken that job at Google early on so yeah. that I'd have six hundred <laughs> billion dollars to kill them. That would yeah. be my goal, <laughs> right? So, uh, and part of Archimedean levers is uh, is uh, efficiency of technology, efficiency of business models. This is part of blitzscaling is business model and technology together. And those are the kinds of solutions I'm looking for. So I, I, I'm kind of less inclined uh, reflexively, although I might get there, to just go, look, I'm here's a big word chest. We're just donating. Mm-hmm. But I am inclined to try to build tech platforms like Win the Future, mm-hmm. names you hate, mm-hmm. um, in order to make it. a very big difference. Right. So would you ever run for office? No. Well, actually, my precise answer is an asteroid hitting the Earth is more likely. All right. Okay. All right. Do you imagine one of these tech people running? Uh, I think a number of the tech people will run. Right. Over Which time. ones? Uh, I don't think I can say. All right. Okay. Do you think Mark Zuckerberg is doing this to run? Uh, I think not. I don't um, either. But yeah. I, I think he just likes to pet livestock. <laughs> no. Well, actually, in fact, I think he. I think he's a he, curious. I don't think the way he would ever put it is betting likes livestock. Mm-hmm. Look, I think his uh, thing is saying, look, we have a community property. I need to understand the community. Yep. And clearly we have community Problems. dysfunction within the U.S. How do I understand this? Going and talking to people is a good way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think tech people would make good politicians? Uh, probably a few. Yeah, for a few. Yeah. And my last question, do you worry about the future under Trump? Do you, do you, you, you know, you're saying it's a tri- from apocalypse, you have a game, you know. Yep, Trump you, up cards. You've literally been the most, except for maybe Reed Hastings, been the most vocal, clearly vocal, going out on a limb. Is that a risk to you? Do you, and do you, do you are you going to continue sort of the aggressive stances you've had comparatively? So uh, I almost certainly will be. I'm not continuing the aggressive stances because I just want to do the aggressive stances. This question is, what is the right thing for the country? What is the right thing for us? And part of what I was happening last fall, and uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin wrote a column about this in The Times, which is precisely when you fear fear is the time to stand up. Mm-hmm. So if you feel fear, fear of oppression, then else, that's a good signal to you to say, now actually I should speak louder, mm-hmm. right? I should do things. And because a lot of people were like, we're fearful about uh, being oppressed by Trump. We're right. fearful about like, he, he, he likes to describe how he's going to crush people and sue right. them and everything right. else. And 
you know, he tries to do that from the office too. It's not his fault. It's Obama's fault. The Russians right. are Obama's fault. It's like, right. oh, well, uh, you know, know. like yeah. as if, <laughs> right? I mean, kind of get a clue. And so, um, and so uh, I will speak up, uh, and I think it'll happen, when those times are that I think it's the right thing for us to do. And for example, you know, I actually think that Trump isn't very pro-entrepreneurship. I don't think he's mm-hmm. pro-technology. I don't think he's pro-future and these things. No. And actually, in fact, like, for example, you want to create the right middle-class jobs? We need to use technology to do that. Mm-hmm. That's It's not roll back the clock. It's roll forward the clock in a way that we're helping, mm-hmm. like, like uh, the big swath of Americans who, feel, who fear that they're being left behind. And we do have a responsibility to try to help. Are you worried about the future? Uh, I've been watching The Handmaid's Tale too long. So, uh, so I think the future is not written, mm-hmm. right? Thank you. I think that's Planet of the Apes. <laughs> uh, Terminator, I think. <laughs> Terminator, that's right. The future uh, is not written. Right. And so, How could I not know that? Yes. And, My favorite movie. And in precisely... I'm an optimist that it's a game we can win, but we have to dig into it. We have to work at it. Is there a candidate you're looking at right now on the scene? That well, I think the – unfortunately, I think the 2020 Democratic candidate yeah, son, know, field right? is going to make the 2016 Republican field look sparse. I know. a bunch. Of- and so I'm trying to figure out what to do, but there's a bunch of good people. I mean, uh, I don't think any of them want to be named. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. I got. I agree with you. I'm like, uh, you sort of yeah. sit there, like you want to. You hope that, that you should be able to win with this group against you. Yes, it's a bunch of clowns, and then you're like, and to me, they don't have answers, which is interesting. What I think is important is we all live in this boat together. We live mm-hmm. in this society together, and Reed, I, they're pushing us out. They're pushing us <laughs> out of the boat. Actively. Well, but I actually think it's you. You push back in. I think mm-hmm. it's the responsibility to think is how do I contribute to making a better society. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think one of the things is people are f- frequently far too apolitical. They're kind of like, well, that's mm-hmm. politics and I'm just mm-hmm. doing business. Right. It's like, no, no, which values do you stand for and are you contributing? Well, that's not my problem and yours either. Very last question, what tip would you give an entrepreneur right now? What would be the most important thing? Right now, Reed Hoffman, 2017, <laughs> summer of 2017. Um, okay, so many entrepreneurs uh, feel that what they do is it's the, the moment of genius is their ideas. So they keep it secret. Actually build the strongest possible network around you to give you feedback on it to refine the idea because you actually, in fact, it's the fact you're in motion this idea and the best possible network you can build around you magnifies your success. Great. We didn't even get to like gender issues or Uber or anything, but that's all right. That's another discussion. Yeah. Thank you so much, Reed. Thank you for coming as usual. Incredibly thoughtful and I really appreciate your presence in Silicon Valley. Awesome to be here. All right. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Oracle CEO Mark Hurd, Instagram CEO Kevin Systrom, and Facebook COO Cheryl Sandberg, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcasts. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference, where Reed was one of our speakers with Mark Andreessen. We also have a live Recode Decode taping coming up on Wednesday, July 19th at the Erickson campus in Santa Clara, California. I'll be interviewing Uber's new vice president of leadership and strategy, Frances Fry. It's going to be a really great interview, and she has a lot to say, and is a very famous Harvard academic at the same time, dealing with a lot of the issues that Uber is dealing with, all of which are bad at this point. And we hope you can join us to hear her talk about how she's going to try to fix it. 
Learn more at events.recode.net. Thanks for listening. Also, thanks to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thanks to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. Hi, I'm Lauren Good, Senior Technology Editor at The Verge, and I'm excited to tell you about my new upcoming video series, Next Level, launching on July 10th. In this new series, we go behind the scenes into the labs of some of the most innovative companies and research institutions around, and we show you the cutting-edge stuff that has the potential to impact the way you experience tech in the near future. Again, Season 1 premieres on July 10th, and you can find Next Level on The Verge, our YouTube channel, and on Facebook. Just look for the hashtag VergeNextLevel. And thanks for watching.